G'day there Thrivers, Jess here. Welcome back to the show for another week. I have a really in-depth interview with you this week with the lovely Zach McLaughlin and he makes the most amazing, intricate paper bird sculptures, probably unlike anything you've ever seen before. Every single sculpture takes between 30 and 120 hours to create uh, and he sells them you know, to collectors, for weddings, uh, installations, all sorts of things. But he's built up a really successful business. Now, I think this episode will be of particular interest to those of you who are artists, who make one-of-a-kind detailed pieces that take you a lot of time to make, because uh, Zach is a really great example of someone who's done this, done it very well, and is making a successful living off of it. So uh, we get into that Today he talks about, you know, how it all began, how he got into this kind of his obsession with crafting these amazing uh, birds and uh, where the idea came from, how he kind of manages a little bit of a work-life balance, (laughs) even though his work is very time intensive. Uh, He explains exactly how he makes them. Uh, Can I just give you a warning not to listen to this episode if you are driving because Zach's voice is incredibly relaxing, especially the section of this interview where he's he's explaining how he makes his birds. And we even talk in this episode about how it's a little bit of a meditative sort of space, the flow state that he gets into when he is crafting that. And you can definitely hear that in his voice as he explains the process, which is so in-depth and really, really interesting. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Zach McLaughlin. If you do, please share it on Instagram. Take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me at Create and Thrive so I can reshare it with my followers. And it's just really, really lovely to hear from you and know that, you know, the show that I'm putting out there is really helping you and you're finding it interesting and engaging. Uh, and if you ever have any suggestions for you know people you'd love to hear on the show or topics you'd love me to cover, hit me up in my Instagram DMs and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get into this episode with Zach. This is episode 231 of the Crane Thrive Podcast. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. So, I'm here today with Zach McLaughlin of Paper and Wood. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be on there. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk to you about your work because it's so unique. And when I saw it, I just thought it was amazingly beautiful and amazingly intricate to the point Thank where you. I was like, oh, my God, that must take you so long. That's dedication <laughs> to your work. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so how on earth did you start making intricate paper birds? Where did this come from? Yeah, it's quite a random one, isn't it? It's kind of a... Not something you plan on doing, but um, I started out doing illustration, actually. So I did uh, illustration at university um, and I went into children's books and starting illustrating, painting, quite elaborate sort of detailed paintings. I kind of like details, you probably can tell. Mm. Um, And a few years of doing that, kind of, I had my own children's book in the back of my head I was working on. And this little boy in the book, he makes a paper bird lantern to fly off on um, to escape where he is. And I could not visualize this paper bird lantern. I couldn't get it to look right. I wanted it to look like a little boy had made it, mm. um, but looked robust enough so he could fly on it. Um, and it just wasn't working. So I decided I was going to make a prop so I could put this prop into situ and you know, paint it um, to look real. And so I started chopping up old books and willow sticks and kind of you know, lashing them together very haphazardly and just you know, working out as I went. But um this bird lantern kind of took shape and it took about three months, not solid work, but bit by bit. Um, and it just sparked something. It really sparked this kind of, I don't know, this fascination with 3d and the handmade mm. uh, that I'd never done before really. Um, and it made me want to play more and more. And as you, you can see through the first one I ever made, actually the, the textures of feathers, they change from the tail to the head. Cause I'm trying to figure out what on earth I'm doing with it. Really how I make paper look like feathers. Um, and my obsession with detail and realism as well and nature led me down a path of 
trying to hone those skills to try and make it more and more realistic. Um, I don't know, there's an obsession with me with detail and looking at all the tiny little things that make something beautiful in nature and trying to recreate that best I can. Uh, and that just, yeah, I don't know, it was a really random spark that started that path. And I guess that opened up to a world of kind of trying to think about how to you know, market that and mm. sell them to people and then go down that route. I left illustration behind a bit now, actually, which I try and go back to whenever I can because it's my where I started out and what I really mm. loved. But this has taken over, which is quite random, very random. <laughs> well, it's just amazing. Like, how long does one of your birds take you to create? Oh, uh, well, it ranges from about 50 to 170 hours so Ooh. far, I think. Quite a long time, that is <laughs> depending amazing. on the bird and the size of it. And yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't like to leave anything out. <laughs> no. So for those of you listening, you probably have no idea what we're talking about, but these birds that Zach creates are, I mean, to me, and I've obviously only seen photos and, and whatnot, they are incredibly lifelike, made from wood and paper, hence the name of your business. Yep. And this has basically become your full-time thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it totally has. Um, yeah, completely taken over. So I do a lot of individual commissions and then it's kind of grown into a bit bigger doing window displays and all sorts of exciting things that come in, you know, take you take by surprise sometimes because people have mm. vision and they come to you go, oh, can you do this? And I've never said no. <laughs> I don't know, to my detriment sometimes, but I do enjoy the challenge of a, you know, a wedding or a window display or a big installation, whatever mm. it can be. I think those are quite exciting to have the variety. So do you work basically mostly on commission these days or do you still have time for your own personal kind of passion projects there? All commission, which is okay. is kind of a good problem, but at the same time, I really would like to work on my own stuff. <laughs> uh, it's just finding the time and putting that time aside costs you money, obviously. So it's a yes. difficult one to weigh up. Um, yeah, especially when you are taking, you know, it does take so long to create your pieces. It doesn't leave you with a lot of spare time in between. No, exactly. In the evenings, they're still taken up with commissions. So not, <laughs> I can make anything else free. Uh, yeah. So where, yeah, yeah. It, look, and, and this is actually, it is actually a problem for those of us who get busy. You know, we get busy yes. filling orders, um, you know, fulfilling commissions or just our orders from our website or whatever. And we, and this happened to me earlier in my jewellery business, you know, I just right. ran out of time and energy to make new things because I'm I'm so flat out, you know, making the stuff people have already paid me for. So it yeah, is a genuine it is a genuine problem in our space and I don't know that there's an easy answer to it except for not taking on as much work but then you don't make as much money. So it's you know. <laughs> it's a really yeah it's it's very hard to figure out isn't it sometimes it's kind of I think you might I suppose it comes with with time of mm. valuing yourself more and charging more for what you do mm. to allow you that time outside of your commissions if that makes sense you take on less yes. but that takes time doesn't it it's not as if you can do that overnight it is you, yes that's you a scare really people good point. off yeah yeah you don't want to like double your prices from one day no. to the next and then but get maybe, no commissions yeah <laughs> but maybe and this is pretty much what i did is put my prices up by like 10 percent, and then another 10 percent, yeah. you know in three or six months and then eventually you get to that point where it all it sort of balances a bit better where you're still earning enough but you've got a little bit more leeway and a bit more free time um, yes. and that does come with time and customer base and so on and and demand as well like yeah i guess it, where do where do most of your customers come from is it sort of are they finding you through word of mouth are they finding you through like google searches what's generally happening there it's mainly instagram actually i have to say ah, it's mainly okay. yeah the social media um which i've been very lucky with really i think it's kind of um bit of self-perpetuating marketplace that for me which is mm. good because you get people sharing it and i don't know it seems to have been really good i get all my major commissions from there um just companies looking at what you do mm -hmm. um i suppose when i started out it wasn't that big a thing paper art but then it's kind of it has become quite a big market now and there's lots mm. of people doing because it it's so accessible um such an easy medium to get hold of and play with mm. and you can do so much with it which i think is great uh so maybe being on in the earlier days with that helped, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I, I don't. It is there is a lot of Instagram. It's mainly DMs, so messages on there, and the occasional Google search will come through. 
Mm-hmm. I like looking at the stats actually on the website. <laughs> you can get a bit obsessed <laughs> with all the figures, can't you? Oh, oh yeah. Where people come from and what's what's happening and why you got sudden fluctuations and things. Um, yeah. I think it's important to keep track of that so you can push certain areas better. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So how long have you been doing this, the paper art? Uh, paper art I've been doing for about six years now. Yeah, mm-hmm. six or seven years. Um, it's a fair while now. Yeah, it's flown by. <laughs> <laughs> and in the beginning, were you sharing it just to share the love or were you actually trying to make it a business? No, initially it was just me playing. So mm-hmm. it was... I suppose the illustration work I was doing was because it was very detailed and painted that made it expensive. And I think publishing houses were struggling. So they were willing to spend less, uh, willing to spend that much money, sorry, on your work. So that was kind of drying up a little bit mm. and I was struggling on that end. So I guess me trying to do my own book and making that prop to paint from pushed me down that route. And then I don't know, there's something about being a creative and struggling for money. It really makes it, oh, it does for me, and it pushes me to think of ways of how I can make money. Mm. How can I make this work? What routes can I take? And initially, with the birds, it wasn't about making money. But as soon as I made that paper, Bird Lantern, and a couple other ones, I did try and think about how I can make it something that people would want in their homes. So like a lighting piece or something that they, they can justify spending money on, not mm. just a a bit of random paper art that's going to stay sit in the mm, home. Yeah. Uh, that's where my brain was initially. But I think it's actually gone away from that now. It's more about the random bit of paper art, you know, that looks like a bird yeah. people have in the corner of their room. Because people like those sort of things, don't they? They like those oh, yeah. little objects and artifacts mm. and random bits and pieces. Um, I, I have a ridiculous amount of fake birds in my vicinity. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I collect ceramic birds, like oh, wow, really? ornaments. And uh, there's also this great company here in Australia called Metal Bird, and they make these like flat sort of decal, uh, thick, um, not stainless, well, I think they're just steel, not stainless steel. And they have really? a little spike on them, and then you're meant to like put them outside somewhere, and then they rust. Ah. So they're kind of a, you know, Sounds an nice. ornament that ages and we have quite a few of them around the place so. <laughs> they sound really nice yeah like, they are they're I like really it when cool things age yeah. yeah yeah my husband actually bought the first one for me and i loved it and he's bought some more and yeah he's like oh, i'll just buy you some more metal birds I'll, I'll try to get him to I'll like just have a look at zach's work <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's my 40th birthday next year you know special, oh is it special, wow yeah, special okay. birthday i'll start planning for you <laughs> So how do you choose the birds? Obviously, you get commissions now, so people kind of tell you. But how, in the, at the beginning, how did you choose which birds to make? Um, do you know what? It was, it, was, it was actually just through what I thought was beautiful and what inspired me. I think that is generally what I am drawn to. And it's always beautiful photos of the natural world or actually just going out on walks and seeing things mm. that inspire and spark something um, within me. I don't not necessarily drawn to a certain species or anything like that. I mean, now it is the case of someone says, this is my favourite bird, can you make it for me? Mm. Um, which does help because if you've got the whole world in front of you, it's very hard to hone in, isn't it, on certain <laughs> things. And there's, there's quite a few species of birds out there. <laughs> there's a few thousand oh, yeah. uh, or hundreds of thousands of you. Yeah. Um, so it's nice when you get someone coming on that's really passionate about a certain bird. And actually, it's good when I've not heard of it. I get mm. to research it. Mm. Um and get to know that bird intimately as well because you're making every little bit of it. That, I find that really fascinating. Of course. But, um, it's not like just looking at it and going, oh, yeah, that's pretty. You'll, you literally have to deconstruct exactly how that's it, it is. And, and I do that. I, I flat pack it. So I draw. <laughs> I've got this big sketchbook where I literally do deconstruct that whole bird into feathers and shapes and the body shape and all the, everything I need to reconstruct that bird off the page like a flat pack. So it's kind mm-hmm. of it's how my brain works. And then I know I can, re, you know, do that again because I've got the whole plans laid out. And actually do a few kits and stuff with that as well. Ah. So other people can come along and learn, which is nice, and do workshops. That's a nice yeah. little aspect as well, getting people so, to see, see that so it actually works for the people. It. Yes, yeah, I do teach it. Um, you know, workshops, I do wire, sort of wire birds and paper birds and paper butterflies, kind of workshops. Oh, lovely. And they're really fun. It's really nice having people interact and... Mm. You know, being really proud of what they create at the end of it. That's really cool. Do you it have shows to... that your instructions work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Do you have a teaching background at all, or is it just something you decided to start doing because you wanted to share no, the craft? Just decided, yeah, just decided to start doing it, actually. Uh, that was about five, four or five years ago. And that was just the wire birds. I did little wire sculptures mm. um, for clay to sit on top of. You know, you do wire armature. Yes. And clay goes on top of it. Um, I started playing because I was playing lots of different materials at the start. It wasn't just paper and wood. I was trying to figure out what would be a good base to make these things robust because um, paper on its own is quite fragile. Yes. And if you're going to sell it for a lot of money to someone, you want it to last the test of time. So to make it robust, I had to play with quite a few different materials, and clay was one of them. Um, but that was quite lengthy. Uh, but the wire sculptures came from that aspect. And I thought that was a very easy uh, way of introducing people to 3D form mm-hmm. and to make a base for anything, really. Um, and that's that's been going five, four, four, uh, five or six years now. Mm-hmm. And they still sell out, which is great. I think people really want to learn how to make things quite simply from a coil of wire. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's amazing it's what nice. you can do with a coil of wire. <laughs> it is. It's like drawing in 3D space. It's, you know, you bend it one way and it keeps its shape. And then you can bend it another and you create these lines with full 3D form. It's amazing how your brain starts to interact with that. Mm. And it really opens up your spatial awareness to what you're creating. Because obviously from one angle it can look like something you want it to look like the other angle looks completely different and you've got to try and think about how to make both angles look like the same thing. Mm-hmm. I like, I like you know, challenging my brain like that. I think other people do as well. Sort of come away from the workshop saying they've forgotten about their day-to-day lives. They're really, you know, just focused on this bloody annoying wire <laughs> <laughs> because it's a challenge to them, but they're really happy with what they've created at the end, which is really nice. They've gone through the struggles. Yeah, it sounds very much like um, everybody's getting in the flow state there. You're becoming so focused and you just get absorbed and then suddenly two hours have passed and you look up and go, what just happened? Yeah, oh, I'm (laughs) desperate for the toilet, I need a drink. All these different things, yeah, suddenly kick in. I do that every day, actually. I suppose you'll you'll be the same when you get into a project. You just, hours disappear, don't they? They do. And that's probably, would you say that's one of the things you love about it? Is that sort of, it's almost a meditative aspect of that, intense focus yeah no, definitely that that mm-hmm. zone you get into um which is yeah it's lovely and also at the end of it you've got something to show for it it's not yeah. like a, a blind meditation where you're just zoning out from life in general mm. it's kind of i don't know your, your hands are still busy and your, your brain's still busy actually you're still making lots of little decisions mm. but it's amazing that zone. nothing else matters apart from that tabletop in front of mm. you it's quite a nice small contained world where everything's in your control. <laughs> <laughs> Just about yes. anyway. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> yes. I assume sometimes things would go wrong. Yeah, occasionally. I just try not to. I never let anything better me though. I always, mm. like, it always can be fixed. It always can be changed. You can always start again. So yeah. it's fine. So can you take us through the actual process of creating your bird from the initial, okay, this is this is the bird I'm going to make? Because you've got it not only, oh, this is the bird, but what's the pose the bird's going to be in? And then how do you actually plan it and construct it from beginning to end? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a long uh, involved process, but I do really enjoy it because it's the initial email or the contact you get with the, the client is, can you make this bird? They're just like they're fishing, really, sort of saying, can you make it for me? Mm-hmm. I love that because it's always, yes, definitely. I love that. Bird. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> uh, and then I pounce on it and give them all the different photos that I found because I'll go away and just collate loads of photos off the internet um, and books and stuff to try and sort of inspire me as well about the bird, you know, seeing all these different angles and colours and shapes. Um, and I'm trying to collate in my head how to best show that off to the client as well mm-hmm. so they get excited by it as well. Um, so the pose kind of comes quite early on, actually. I always ask whether they want it in flight or perched, you know, uh, on what it's going to be perched on, what it's going to be displayed in. So uh, straight away I know and they know what to expect and actually what I'm designing for. Because if it's blind, it's a bit harder to mm. to plan that. But once that's down and say it's a perched bird within a bell jar uh, on a branch, I can go away find lots of images of that bird perched on a branch, which helps. Uh, and then I literally find as many photos as I can of all different angles of the wings, the tail, the beak, the face, the eyes, 
all the feathers are coverts, you know, the downy feathers underneath their chest. Um, so I can map in my head a complete, you know, 360 of that bird as mm. if I had it in my hands um, and I can check, you know, I don't know what it is in my head. I instantly look at how that can be made 3D. I think I've always painted that way as well. I always try to make things look as if they're there to be picked up. Mm. Um, so my brain, I, I, I like that. You know, I don't know. It's almost as if you're spinning it around in your head, what you're looking at on the screen. Mm. But then I, then I'll go and de- deconstruct it. Really. So my next stage is drawing that bird out as detailed as I can, um, and actually sourcing things like feather atlases. Um, uh, websites like that where you've got luckily there is a resource like that where people have actually laid out all the primary and secondary feathers of the main wow. wings <laughs> I know and there's so many different species people have done this for and they're actually on ruled backgrounds as well so you can see the exact shape and size of them each wow, individual feather awesome. which is really useful because um, when you look at a wing it, there's quite a lot going on there there's a lot mm. of overlapping and you know you can't tell the true shape of a lot of feathers kind of there are some i have to make up but you know it's nice to have the majority of them laid out for you so i can take that resource into my little book and the tail feathers as well and then i'll draw a complete wing and i'll list all the feathers on that wing i usually number them and color color code them and stuff like that so i'm really breaking it down um and then it's the body shape as well so i'll draw out a detailed picture of the bird but then I'll slightly reduce the size of that bird because when you add off the paper on top, it bogs up slightly. So I'll reduce Mm. the size um, and simplify that shape because that's the shape I'll make out of wood or I'll make out of wire for the skeleton underneath. Um, And then that is the main base, which I start from. So once everything's drawn out, I will then go about carving uh, out of a block of wood or I will use wire to create the, um, the skeleton, the armature, for everything to sit on top of. Uh, and that is quite an important part because if you get any, anything's too bulky or the wrong shape, you'll see it forever. Mm. <laughs> you can't get rid of that. And then the more you add on top of it, the more it adds to it and amplifies yeah. it. So I always take my time really getting the shapes right. And it's amazing how all these different birds you see, they all look quite similar-ish, but I don't know, the beak shape and the head shape instantly makes them recognisable or not. Mm. So I've got to really pay attention to what I'm making, which I always do, actually. I've always got photos up. Um, I'm always looking at my drawings. I think it's always good to resort back to your reference. Um, Otherwise, you can get a bit off track and then you look Mm. back after a little zone out for a few hours, you look back (laughs) and you go, oh, no, I got that all (laughs) wrong. I have to start again. (laughs) <laughs> that's not a good place to be. No. Uh, so I take my time and get that bit perfect um, as I can. And then it's actually the next stage is getting the beaks uh, and eyes um, really uh, nicely detailed. And that actually is usually done in clay. Mm-hmm. So I've got this two-part epoxy clay. I don't know if you've heard of milliput. It's like a... I haven't, but... A two-part epoxy clay. It's actually It was actually made for um, plumbing. So it sets under water. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, and pipes and stuff. It's a really rock hard uh, two part epoxy that's air dry and it sets mm-hmm. in two hours. Uh, but you can really sculpt it and craft into it really nicely. Um, and I find that a really good medium for, for the beaks and for the eyes and any details around the face. Because mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm, I work from inside out and the, the feathers are kind of the last bit to go on. Um, mm because everything needs to look like it's grown from the inside out as well. Mm. So you start playing with different levels. It's trying to figure out what comes first, <laughs> what you can <laughs> see laying underneath what. Um, and that's why I start with the tail feathers as well, if I'm going to do the tail. So the tail first, uh, and then you layer up the feathers on top of that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But this is the, lo- the longest part, really, because it's kind of, it's just cutting out all the individual feathers out of paper. And do you cut them with scissors or do you use a scalpel or? Scissors, all scissors. Oh, wow, okay. Because there's some really small stuff in there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And I've got pretty big hands, so it's going to get a bit (laughs) tricky when you're doing little hummingbirds and stuff. Wow. Um, But the, um, I suppose it's just getting to grips with how you can make something 
that small. So I make say mm. the bigger feathers up's easier, but little small ones you should do long and thin bits of paper you can hold the end of. You just feather mm. the very tip and then cut that tip off, mm-hmm. and that becomes a really tiny feather. Um, but I mean, the variety and size and shape of the feathers change for every bird as well. Mm. So as I'm working my way up and through the bird, I'm forever looking at what goes where and if it's more downy or you know shorter cuts whatever it's, re- it's a very long part of the process that one but i do really enjoy it and i know where i'm getting to with it mm. <laughs> that makes sense it's kind of it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle you're just laying yeah. it all up except you're also making it not just putting it together as you're going exactly yeah <laughs> and <laughs> do you do you use colored paper or do you paint it afterwards colored paper okay, yeah. yeah so I, I paint it as well afterwards but that's another decision to make is which base color do i go for for all the elements of these birds some birds mm. are ridiculously colorful and got all these colors all <laughs> over the place but sometimes there's actually an underlying similar tone so right. it's quite nice to have that as your base of color the, the paper itself and add those paints on top um and actually i, I do love the painting process because it brings it to life mm. especially on the hummingbirds and things when you've got these iridescent paints and flashes of color Oh, that would be amazing. Really, yeah, it goes to town on that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, it, it really adds another depth to it. And actually what the cutting the paper does as well, have you ever done like dry brushing and things like that where you're mm. skimming the surface? All that texture you've added has done a lot of the hard work for you. And if there's colour within that paper as well, those shadows are there. So mm. all you're doing is adding highlights and, you know, flashes of colour here and there. Right. There's actually a lot less painting than you think, which is quite nice. Yes, because <laughs> that would be a lot to paint over the on top once you've put it all together as well. Yeah, it is. It does take a while. But yeah, the painting brush is really nice. I do like that bit. Um, and yeah, I suppose painting is the next bit. Sorry, this is this is probably taking as long as it takes me to make a bird to describe all this. <laughs> it's so in- it's so intricate though. Like I'm I'm fascinated. I'm just like you know the flow state we were talking about. You have a great yeah. like radio. Are you familiar with ASMR by any chance? Have you ever heard? No, of I'm not actually. No. Okay, so it's a whole. Oh world. no, I am actually. Is that where people listen to like noises? Yeah, or mm. like whispered people whispering or people yes, talking softly. You have a perfect voice for that. Like your voice is very smooth <laughs> and calming. And you're like just oh, describing thanks. this beautiful process of making these birds. And I'm just like zoning <laughs> up listening to you. It's great. I'm hoping everybody listening is enjoying it as much as I am. So, okay, so we're painting. Oh, and thank then- you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm aware of my voice now. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I made you sound conscious. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I know, right? So, yeah, the painting process is the next bit um, once I've got right up to the beak. So little tiny feathers right on the beak so you can't tell where the feathers have started and finished, hopefully, if you look mm. at the piece. And then the painting, yeah, is the next step, which I use acrylic paints. Um, I find acrylic paints have got uh, a really good <coughs> um, luminosity to them and quality of colour. You can also mm. water them down. They have a nice... Um, almost a plastic finish to them. So actually what it does is protects the paper as well once you've painted mm. it, which is another good thing because paper obviously will um, tarnish and age, but if it's covered, um, it'll be fine and last forever, you know, mm. as, as canvases do. And painting, it can be very long. If, if I've got, I did a life-size peregrine falcon not long ago and that's got oh, just wow. so much detail on every feather. And you start looking at all these little lines and, um, I don't know, flashes of colour and you start looking at, oh my goodness, how, how am I even going to start with this? Where do I start? But again, I have to look at the layers of colour and think, okay, which is the wash that I start with and which are the details I finish on top with? And it's the process of kind of just building it up again. Um, sometimes when you do base colours, you think, oh no, I've ruined this. It looks terrible. <laughs> it's like I've just slosh loads of paint all over all those hours of work <laughs> well then you just have to keep on adding keep on mm. playing keep on just looking at the reference and just color matching and and working away very slowly up never rushing mm. it just kind of bit by bit um and actually another thing with the birds is I, I was used to illustrating obviously you're doing a 2d illustration it's nice and flat you're making something really nice from one side mm. you do that on these birds and then you realize ah still got the other side to do exactly the same one (laughs) 
my that just took me a whole day to do that size ah yeah. okay i've got to do that again now <laughs> but in, in reverse uh so yeah, that's always a, a fun part to get your head around and mm. try and stay in the zone for but the painting is something that's, it, it does bring it to life and especially when you get to the head mm. so the head's one of my favorite bits to do because you're i'm painting the eyeballs um all the details around the eyes the beaks uh and something about that obviously looking into something's eye <laughs> does mm. give you a sense it's looking back uh mm. and especially when i add uh this gloss varnish put gloss varnish on the eyeballs at the end which makes it lovely and shiny and looks alive mm. and that to me is only actually is a thing like a little cre- creature you've created which i think is a nice part of the process and it's yeah, definitely. a bit where you sort of step back a minute and just you know take it in a little bit what you've created and enjoy the process that mm. you what was in your head at the start has become what you see at the end you know it's that belief and all those hours of pain and struggle to get there or even just the nice zone out bits whichever bit you've gone through there's so many emotions you go through when you create isn't there it's just like a roller coaster so mm. the the feeling when you get there and it's there looking back at you it's like yes okay i did it <laughs> <laughs> you're alive <laughs> yeah you're alive uh but then you're still not finished so I've still, no. got, still not finished there. no i've got to if it was in a bell jar i'd have to drill into the base of the bell jar i've got to get some uh steel armature wire which i need to set in underneath the base and then i use that wire to create um my branch shape mm. um so i'll try and do a nice natural bending branch uh so i did used to use real branches but it was so hard to find the right shape and size or you know actually set it in the base so i thought right. i should make my own got more control over that uh you create any shape you like and it's going to be rock hard and solid because then i use a milli putt again on top of that mm-hmm. to create all the bark textures and everything else uh which i then can add moss to and all sorts of things and paint exactly how i want to but also i can wrap so the legs coming out the bottom of the bird i'll wrap onto the branch right yeah uh so that is solidly on that branch as well uh, before I make the legs and feet on top of the branch and then paint that as well. And then that's done. <laughs> then oh that is the final stage. So, yeah, uh, do you, it's quite do involved. You, apart from painting them, do you spray them with any final kind of sealant or anything like that? Yep, there's a matte varnish I use. Okay, um, yeah. Yep, just mist it with matte varnish, a couple of coats of that, uh, which does then seal and protect the paper again, but it doesn't affect the paint that you've done. Or right. add or just, you know, um, take anything away. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I have to re-gloss the eyes because they get a bit matted, but that's mm-hmm. the only bit that will affect. But yes, that's the last stage. So it is protected. And people, hopefully, <laughs> it'll last you know, forever for them. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, yeah. Oh. Touch wood. <laughs> that's amazing. Absolutely Actually, amazing shipping is the worrying process. part as well. Oh, God, that would be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you put so much yeah. time and effort into this thing and then you have to ship it. I know. Uh, world it's like, oh, yeah God. so you have yeah. customers all over the world yes yeah i do amazingly um i think that's the power of instagram again isn't it it's mm. kind of worldwide marketplace yeah shipped shipped all over shipped to australia shipped to uh, new zealand <laughs> to china to america um all over europe yeah loads of places which is really really amazing actually to think your birds have flown around the world mm. <laughs> and got there safely yes that's the most important thing so what do you have like a favorite that you've done or is like your most recent one your favorite uh yes pretty much it is pretty much always one i've just made that my favorite really (laughs) because i'm so involved with it um i've just finished uh 10 hummingbirds on a tree oh wow um, in a sort of really large bell jar uh, which has taken me forever (laughs) but uh, it's like 630 hours i think or something like that wow into this piece but yeah I'm, you know it came together exactly how i designed it how i wanted it and again mm. it's that feeling of I've, I've got there i've done it thank goodness um and i suppose because it's a multi-bird piece as well there's a lot more to it mm. um yeah i think it's the most recent and it it's always people ask always ask me actually which is the favorite to make and it's always actually a new commission so a new <laughs> exciting one i've got a lilac breasted roller next which yeah. is if you've never heard of that, look it up. It's one of the most stunning birds. The amount of colours in it. And it's quite a big bird as well, so it'd be quite fun to make. I should start making the body for that. But 
I'm really looking forward to getting to the feathers of that one because it's just so colourful. I will have yeah. to look that up. It's not one I'm familiar with. Um, no, I wasn't before either. <laughs> That's the fun part. Do you want to learn how to sell more online? I have a free video workshop just for you. It's called the 10 Essential Keys to Successfully Sell Handmade Products Online and it'll take you through the absolute key factors that will help you to unlock the door of successful online selling. To get access to it right now for free, head on over to createandthrive.com forward slash 10. That's createandthrive.com forward slash one zero. Just, just as an aside for the bird nerds out there, there's an amazing, if you're also a board gamer, there's an amazing board game called Wingspan, which... Oh, I've seen that. I'm not actually good. Oh, it's, it's great. One of my friends has it and we played it recently. It's a great game, but it's also beautiful because you have, like, there's hundreds of bird cards so everyone is unique and it's just a different bird and there's like the north american birds and then there's the uk you know europe birds and the, yeah. <laughs> so they have expansions that come out and yeah it's a really beautiful game um, and yeah, it's what's, great because nice of that i'm so not you, sure but it's not super expensive no sorry the, the premise sorry the, um, oh the premise okay yeah yeah, yeah yeah um so yeah it's it's so weird to explain board games when you have them in front of you like you have to collect birds and there's like the wetland birds and the forest birds and like the ground dwelling birds or something and then there's right. the like different rounds of the game and you have to collect eggs for the birds and oh, food for the birds oh, wow. and all of the, the different things interact together you know to you know there'll be rules or things you're supposed to be trying to achieve and yeah, it's a really it's really fun it it um it seems complicated but once you get into it it's it's good so yeah like the good board games recommend. always are yeah. take a while to get into <laughs> that sounds great yeah i'm gonna try that yeah, I recommend it to anybody who likes birds. And, and another question that has been on my mind from the beginning of this chat, did you ever write your book? Uh, yeah, well, so it's still still in process. It's still okay. ongoing. It's one of the things I keep going back to. Um, and in all that spare time you have. <laughs> exactly. And I've actually, I bought myself a massive pad to paint on and this drawing board at home. So in the evenings, I come home and work on it. Bye. I haven't done a thing. It's like everything else takes over still. Uh, it is there. And it, it keeps evolving, this story. But um, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that I want to make happen uh, and hopefully will in the next couple of years, I think. Because mm. it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a passion project. You know, there's ones in the background you, mm. you really want to do and it means a lot to you. So it would be nice to get that done at some point. Um, definitely. And I suppose tie together the whole bird journey for me into the book as well. It'd be a nice thing. Yeah, so is it, yeah, is it, is there something about birds to you, like, that really draws you to them, is, like, metaphorically? Um, I don't know if I thought about that, and I'm not sure if it is, maybe is the fact that they, they're so free, it's the freedom Mm -hmm. aspect, um, I guess that could be what draws me to them, but I think mainly it's just, it is the, the beauty of them, and that, Mm. I don't know, the way they do just fly. There's something about that. You can't take your eyes off them. And I always, uh, Everyone said, you know, why, why do you like bird watching and why are you drawn to them? Every new country I go to, I feel like it's one of the first things I'll see mm. is a whole new bird because birds are everywhere, aren't they? They're kind of, they are. You can't look for very long in the sky or around without seeing any type of bird. Um, and there's something, there's something awesome about that. And actually knowing who, what they are and, you know, getting excited by the shape and size and the colour. And mm. you see one you had never seen before. It's like, oh, wow. It's almost like, um, what's it called? Pokemon type thing. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, collect them all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that one, yes. Another one in the book. But they are very visible animals. I think that's that's a really good point. Like they're yeah. the animal you're going to see the most, you know, just out exactly. and about no matter where you are. Um, my husband Nick's actually from England. He's from Southampton. Is he? And, oh, cool. Uh, yeah. And when he moved here, he's like, "Your birds are just crazy. They're like prehistoric. Like you can you can see how they come from the dinosaurs here in Australia because just yes. the noises they make and stuff is is so different to English birds. <laughs> well, it's like, yes. Our birds are all like so soft and pretty, and <laughs> they make little songs, and yours are all like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's just that's our songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you grow that way. That's relaxing to you. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. 
<laughs> like this flock of black cockatoos will be in the tree just yelling at each other and be like, oh, oh wow. that's pretty, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I'd love to see that. <laughs> see, I'd be, I wouldn't take my eyes off that. I'd be just mesmerised. It is pretty but, cool. But here's that difference, isn't it? If you came yeah. here and saw what we thought was a bog standard bird here, we've always seen, you'd be like, oh, my God, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I'm like, what's that bird? It's really pretty. Although I do tend to... I like kind of freak out over squirrels because we don't have squirrels and I think they're adorable even though it, like my in-laws are like but they're pests they're annoying uh, <laughs> like, but they're so cute look at them around the tree oh my god they are so, adorable yeah, um... <laughs> they are very cute I have to say they are they're such fluffy tails and they? <laughs> they are they're also excited squeeze it <laughs> yeah definitely but it's it's like birds as well they just they're so fast you know the, their uh, movements yeah. and stuff it's so different to how we move so they are fascinating creatures yeah yeah, definitely. Um, so do you have like is there uh, a goal or a, like a project that you would really love to do one day like a particular place you'd love to see your work or a particular type of installation that you're kind of dreaming of doing in the future um i mean I, i've actually always been drawn to immersive spaces actually mm-hmm. creating that so i do love the idea of I mean, I did a semi-version of that in a store where I created a sort of paper garden for people to go into um, mm-hmm. and sort of be a part of. But I do like the idea of <clears throat> creating a whole world um, that you enter. So imagine you're going to underwater portal, say, and it's all <laughs> paper art with jellyfish and stuff all around you and different things, seaweeds and all these things. You, you kind of feel immersed in it and feel a part of that ocean experience. Mm-hmm. But it is all handmade and handcrafted and don't know why but some of that is really draws me to it um just the scale because i suppose i get so into it when i'm creating things out of paper i'd like to people to step into the world i'm in when i'm making mm-hmm. i do really like that aspect but then I, I do love i would love to do say large museum pieces where you've got um have you ever been to that Trish museum in london Got... I have not. It's on my list. Yeah, it's amazing. The, we tried um, to go one day, but there was like a couple of busloads of children outside, and we were like, no. "Oh God!" We, get... <laughs> we, could... we, we went to the V&A instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but they got this massive cabinet in there with about three hundred hummingbirds in it, and it's like this one huge um, sprawling tree. Mm. With all these birds are all over it. I kind of like the idea of doing some big cabinet display. Um, that looks a bit like wallpaper. So if you imagine, mm. say, a William Morris print or something like that, and you've got all the branches and things and florals on it, and then birds all dotted all over it, over a whole wall. So that'd be really cool as well. I don't know. I, I just like the idea of expanding, I guess. Mm. Um, but it'd take me so long to make it, wouldn't it? That's, that's the worry. You could be the artist in residence for like six months at a museum yes. or something in Hill Gallery and create that. It's a cool idea. Exactly. I'd love to see that. That'd be great. <laughs> So what are some of the most challenging aspects of either your craft or your business or both combined for you so far? I suppose the, well, I mean, the, the toughest part is juggling everything. When mm. you're so involved and you've got to put so many hours into what you make money out of, to come out of that and make time for everything else that needs to go into running what you do, I find that very difficult because mm. I really enjoy the making side of it but the other stuff not so much um, that's very familiar <laughs> yeah exactly a lot of people listening will be like uh-huh <laughs> yeah i think everyone's in the same boat um but i suppose it, it, over time you realize that both matter so you've got to make that choice say putting a day aside or you know a certain part of the day aside to actually tackle those things and get them done because all they do is just build up <laughs> and then you're overwhelmed and actually what it does it quashes your creativity Mm. If that's building up in the back of your mind, you can't actually get fully into what you're making. And then that is going to impact, you know, your creative journey as well. Because mm. um, you and what you make are the business, aren't they? It's kind of what yeah. you got to get over. Yeah, I find that tough. I do find that tough. Do but, you um, have a plan or a structure for that that's sort of a system or is it something you're still kind of wrestling with? still wrestle with it to be honest I mean there are times when I go right this is what I'm going to do and I said I will do a day a week where I do you know, marketing I do um, 
accounts, they do all these different things, invoicing. Um, but a, a bigger project comes along and it just sweeps mm. away everything and you go, I haven't got time for any of that. And like you say, I'm working all these commissions and then a big window display comes along that needs to be done in the next two weeks. Oh, wow. <laughs> I have to put every minute of every day into those. So everything has to be pushed to one side, even the commissions, to get that done, mm-hmm. which is part of the juggling process. So I feel like I, I make these plans and then they go out the window <laughs> as soon as I've made them. <laughs> and it's back to square one. I was like, okay, right, let's try again. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, the thing is I can't predict when those sort of jobs are going to come in, which yes. I find very tough. Because uh, I, lo- I love it when I haven't got the big ones. And I can actually, like this month seems quite structured and I'm mm-hmm. just making birds for people. And I know where I'm at. I know what I'm doing and I can actually start getting a bit of a system and a bit of a you know routine to my days and actually start to plan in those things, like the mm. important business side of things, which I do like to do. I do like to have a set, uh, even if it's half a day yeah. for emails, for accounts and stuff, um, say a couple of those a week and then the rest I can really concentrate and get those orders out of the way because they build up in the back of your head as well. I feel like mm. you get very stressed with orders. Yes. Pushing down on you. Um, so, yeah, this is really difficult, one, isn't it? You, you're constantly juggling with yourself, constantly juggling with what the, where the business is going, if you can put your head above the water mm-hmm. <laughs> to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as you get more experienced and older and you've gone through it year after year after year, there's a point where you have to go, right, that's enough. I'm going to actually cut back on that i'm going to add more of that i'm going to say no to that you know all these decisions that you should do mm. but you feel like you couldn't because you need the money or you know all those sort of things yes i think saying no can be very hard it is very hard but it's very empowering when you do mm. i think when you've actually done it it's surprising how much that client will still come back because there's a fear of losing out isn't it as well there's a fear yeah. of they'll never come back but they do. They just realise you're busy. And hopefully, <laughs> give you a bit more respect and time and whatever you do. Mm. Uh, I suppose it's yeah. It's those things you, as you grow up, you try and get to the bottom of, figure out yourself. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a constant battle, as you can tell. I'm even me wittering about it for this long. It's a constant <laughs> battle, isn't it? And do you like? Do you have a sort of a? work-life balance do you do other things outside of work you know hobbies or you know time to yourself what is sort of a typical day or week look like for you days off god like days off no i okay. mean <laughs> i i'm really bad for that I'm, I'm i will some weekends actually recently i've been very good to give myself the whole weekend off but a lot of them i'll have workshops on the saturday um mm-hmm. which obviously i have to prepare for and be there all day for so that day is written off. And then say the Sunday I might have off if I give it myself. I'm not a very nice boss to myself, pretty much. <laughs> I make myself work all the time. But if I do have a day off, I will go for, uh, what I love to do is go for a good walk and mm. bird with my binoculars and go and check out the local birds down at, um, we've got a nice um, wetland centre nearby um, where I live. So I like to go for a walk around there. And that really relaxes me. That really gets me out of work. Mm. That's one of the only things really. It can properly it make me feel like a child again, that sense of mm. wonder and awe and you know, rejuvenate everything inside. Because um, I spend a lot of time sitting down, as you probably know, yes. in creativity as well. You're kind of you're not very active, are you? And kind of your brain is, and your hands mm. are, but as a, bo- a whole body, don't feel like you're doing much. <laughs> I don't know, there's that physical aspect to going for a walk, getting that air in your lungs seeing these things i love it i think it's one yeah. of my favorite things to do outside of work hobbies wise i'm not i'm got nothing i used to play guitar but i haven't done that for years <laughs> you know all these things you just go out the window because you feel guilty mm-hmm. doing it it's a part of you it's like well i should be doing this because mm. that's more pressing that's i think that's another struggle i am obviously fighting with as well yeah yeah, I definitely went through that sort of burnout period in my career where I was working all day, every day, and then it just, something's cracked. I'm like, I can't keep living like this. 
and yeah. uh, definitely change things for the better. Like I exercise in the mornings and, you know, have time off in the evenings and have weekends yeah. and stuff now. But again, that's, you know, years after I started, you know, years into it. And I think it, there's phases you go through throughout yeah. your career. Um, there'll be times where, you know, you really focus and energized on your work. And then there'll be other times where you have to, you know, step back from it a little bit to take care of yourself and, or maybe take care of, of other people in your life or other things that are going on. And so there, there's always that sort of fluctuation over time. Yeah. I think it's important to recognize that, um, in yourself, but as you say, there's others around you who you, you can easily neglect because mm. um, you're so into it and you can make excuses why you're into it and why you're not giving that time. Um, but it's important, isn't it, to have those connections with other people and make time for other people. Yeah. But I suppose you have to make time for yourself first and get yourself yes. in that place. You know, yeah, because I guess swimming in the mornings, that's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's one of my only exercises, but I do love it. I think morning's the best time for it as well because mm. it gets out of the way. You don't feel like you've got to leave work early. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just found if I didn't do it in the morning, it just didn't happen because I was busy. No. And then I was tired. Exactly. So just do it first thing, uh, you know, and then it's it's done and you can yeah, it gives you a mental and physical energy boost and all that sort of jazz. So. Oh, it really does. Makes yeah. you feel better about yourself. It does. It does. You deserve sure. that croissant with your coffee. <laughs> mm, croissant. <laughs> uh, you have such good croissants over there. Um, <laughs> do we? Oh. <laughs> yeah, compared to Australia. <laughs> oh, oh no you do find the occasional nice one here but generally speaking they're not great not very good um, no, dear. no um so do you see yourself doing this for the long term yeah definitely i mean uh something i've always done so i don't see myself doing anything else i don't know if i can do anything else but it's something i want to do <laughs> uh, i mean yeah i'd like to i'd love to continue doing this and try and build up a dual business, if that makes sense. So you've got one mm -hmm. side where I get to do what I love and make my birds and individual commissions. That's my main thing. And the other side would be, say, people working under me, doing window mm -hmm. displays and installations and things that obviously I'm involved designing and working with them, but they can take on that aspect and I'm not so stressed trying to do all that and this yeah. at the same time. So that's kind of where I'd like to get to. Uh, so do you have any happening. help or an apprentice or anything like that? I feel like you would need an apprentice. Like your work uh, just seems so detailed that at least somebody would need to study with you for a while to learn how to do it. Yeah, I think, well, that's the main problem I haven't at the moment. I've had a few people that come on to help. And if there's a big project, I will get people in um, on a freelance basis to um, help me out for the month or two that it takes to create all those pieces. Mm. Um because I just physically can't do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I try, but I definitely can't. And you need that help. Uh, and it's nice to have, actually. It's nice to work with the people, mm. pass it on. And it's amazing. I think that control freak side of you, it's nice oh, when you yeah. let go and realise other people can help. Other people can do this. <laughs> um, I haven't got one at the moment. And it's something that I do think about a lot, actually, getting someone in just to just to take the load off a bit. Um, mm. Because there's a lot, well, there is a lot to do, and it's very involved. And there are definitely aspects that I could get other people to help out with. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't at the moment. Uh, I did for a period, a few months before Christmas last year. He was great, actually. Annoyingly, had to go back. He was a, a, a student just graduated. Had to go back um, uh. to uh, Singapore. I think. Yeah, Singapore. His visa mm. ran out, which is really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, can't you just stay? You're great. This is really good. Uh, <laughs> um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't looked again yet. I don't know. I feel like mm. I, I can just about cope with what's going on at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, it's always the build-up to Christmas gets crazy. Yeah, um, that is a crazy time of year. Yeah, did, did you have sort of people helping out and stuff? Just kind of... Not in the beginning. Um, oh, yeah. No, not in the beginning, but then... Like my husband, because when we got married, he didn't have a visa to work in Australia. So right. he didn't have a job at the time. He was living off his savings. And uh, I started giving, like we, 
we got married and then I quit my job a few months later and then we were meant to go traveling and that didn't happen so I just kind of threw myself in the business and I started giving him little jobs like can you do the bookkeeping can you do some of the <laughs> right. pa- can you start doing some packing and um, cuz he was doing all the domestic stuff you know cooking shopping all that all that stuff yeah cuz I was just working and um yeah slowly but surely and then now he makes all of our rings like he i started oh, teaching jewelry and uh so he does all of that now and um a whole bunch That's of great. like he, he he pretty much almost runs the jewelry business like i i kind of i make some of the pieces like some earrings and stuff and i sort of do the customer service and and quality control but he pretty much does everything else um which is fantastic so yeah, yeah. so for us we were lucky in that it worked for us and we're kind of partners in everything now so yeah. that made a big difference to That's me. Really That's really nice kind to do. Of, yeah, it is. And it, it allowed me to also start Create and Thrive when I did and sort of have that second education business um, as well. So, And I've had various assistants over the years, like um, virtual assistants who've helped me with certain jobs and things like right. that. So that kind of comes and goes depending on what I, you know, the workload and what I feel like doing or what I feel like not doing and <laughs> all of that sort <laughs> <Yeah>. of stuff. <laughs> and someone has to, like some people have to leave, which is really frustrating when you have a really good assistant. They're like, oh, I'm yeah. going to do this other thing. You're like, no. Really <laughs> I've just me. got you trained up. Where are you going? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you can't offer someone a full-time job, that, that happens. So, it's fair enough. Yeah, it's yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's that, it's a, it's a balance we all have to, we all have to negotiate for ourselves and what, what parts of the business are we willing to kind of share and what parts do we and want you to have to share ourselves. Them, you mm. know, um, yeah, is there any limit to what you can do, isn't there? Until you do burnout or you realise the hard way <laughs> you've done too much. Exactly. Which is, yeah, easy to do. Yeah. That's really nice how you work together. I really like that. Mm. It is. We're very lucky to be able to do that. Um, I know, you know, I think it takes a certain type of pe- people or relationship to be able to yeah. do that. I know some people are like, oh, I couldn't do that with my husband. I'm like, well, <laughs> it, works. it works for us. It works. It's good. You know, we know, you know, we have our own uh, zones of responsibility, like m- the mental yeah. load for one thing is mine and the mental load for something else is him. And it all sort of just works. So it's good. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Well done. Good balance. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have a piece of advice to share with your fellow makers, a piece of advice about running a successful creative business? Advice for running a business? I I see, I don't know, because the way I've done it doesn't feel like a conventional way of doing it. The way I suppose a lot of people probably feel like that um, mm. is I just massively concentrated on the making side of things and what I was making, what I wanted to make. Um, and making it as beautiful as I can rather than thinking about um, cutting those costs, say making it however mm. much I got paid, that's your hourly rate. If you go over those hours, you stop. <laughs> I can't do that. I have to make it as you know as beautiful as I wanted to make. So that mm. I've never really been business-minded in that sense. I All I've ever done is follow my heart and make what I want to do. And I feel like if you put the more you put into something, the more you're going to get back. It's mm. that um, there's too many times where I could have cut corners um, and put out something that I wasn't happy with. I don't think that would have got back the same result um, mm. over time. So I don't know. When people ask me about running a business, um, I feel like you should be true to yourself and what you want to make not mm. cut the corners you think you should <laughs> that's probably one of my biggest ones um, and make what you want to make I think yeah and one but, of the things about that is that if you weren't making it to the best of your ability you wouldn't then feel the you know the pride to share it with other people like you might be a bit like oh it's not you know not so great maybe i won't put it on instagram or maybe i won't exactly. kind of shout it from the rooftops but when you're and so that's... proud of something you just want to share it with everybody yeah and you put a lot of effort and time into it and you know, it's it feels it's a part of you then isn't it and it's mm. it is hard putting it out there and initially it's very hard to put it out there because it's that it's there's little hurdles I have to get over and i did it i always felt like it's kind of oh look at me or you know or i'm mm. showing off or 
when you realize that is your business, that's what you make money out of, it's separate to you in a way as well. So mm. it is, obviously you've made it for hours, it's part of you, but then that marketing aspect is completely separate. And seeing Instagram for that completely changed my view on putting things out there. Um, mm -hmm. So to separate yourself from your work, I think is very important as well. Um, and not think like I did initially, uh, you're showing off or you're you know, putting work out there for the sake of it or all these different things. It's actually, this is what I'm making money out of. I'm advertising, that's my marketing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people do have that feeling in the beginning. I, well, I know they do because I, <laughs> I talk to them, but that sort <laughs> yeah. of that I, we call it tall poppy syndrome here in Australia. I don't know. Oh, right. It's similar in the UK, like this idea that don't don't big yourself up. Who do you think you are? You know, exactly. don't, don't stand out from the crowd. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a bit different in America. They have a different uh, culture, but uh, definitely here it's more that English influenced culture. Uh, yeah. So a lot of people have have trouble with with that, like putting putting that their work out there because it does feel like it's a part of yourself. It feels so personal, um, yeah. and you're putting it out there for the judgment of others. But at the same time, well, yeah, then you want people to buy it. So not everyone's yeah. going to love it, but the right people will love it, and that's all that matters. Exactly, but they need to see it to love it as mm -hmm. well. You know, they do. Um, and even I, I I thought about the process. So there's a thing about showing your finished piece. Obviously, once you got to the finished state, it's how you want it to look. But I think there's a lot more to be said for the processes involved and how you get there. I think mm. people are much more fascinated to see the work behind it, um, to see how you got to that point, your decision making, your, you know, uh, the underlying um, levels to what you create. I think it's nice for people to see that. And people, I was as well, I wasn't very keen on showing those bits because they, they look ugly, they don't look great, they're not mm. the finished piece. It's important to show those things as well, um, and give not to be too precious about thinking it's secrets you're giving away. Actually, mm. let people in, and it's much more rewarding. And you'll find that that actually attracts a lot more people as well to what you do, which in time obviously creates more customers. You know, more interest, all these different things, mm. shares. Just be more open with it. I think it's not a secret you should hold on to. Mm. Everyone should have a go. I think. Yeah, I yeah. love that. And there's a great video on your website that kind of shows a bit of that behind-the-scenes stuff. So I encourage people to go check it out. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so they can go have a look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and give it a go. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. So did you happen to bring along a quote today that inspires or motivates you? Or do you have so, one you could share? Yeah, I mean, quotes-wise, I am I am really bad for uh, <laughs> looking at, anyone else or anything else. So I don't really mm -hmm. look at art. I don't really look at quotes and stuff like that. But I, I always had one from my mum. Mm -hmm. It's always kind of in the back of my head. And it's, it's one that's really helped me get through a lot of sort of stages of um, uh, the 10 year struggle of having no money and trying to make it work and keep driving, keep pushing all the hours you're working, all these things. Um, and obviously there's always different struggles and uh, people trying to bring you down and mm. I mean, all these different things. Um, but didn't give up, kept going. And my mum always says, don't let the bastards bring you down. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but that's always stuck with me. It's kind of a very simple one. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's not exactly <laughs> earth shattering, but <laughs> it really helped me. Um, and it's something that I've always thought and always do think, you know, if someone's mm. treating me badly or a situation's out of my control, I just think, no, oh, that, just think, no, that, don't let the bosses bring you down, keep going. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Because um, it's not their life, it's your life, and you've got to do with it what you want to do with it. It is that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you want, you've got to be happy at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Who cares about them? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Now, Zach, what is the best place for people to go look at your beautiful work? Sure. So um, Instagram is probably the best place, um, and that's uh, at paper and wood underscore. Um, that's uh, yeah. Put everything. All my recent pieces are on there, uh, and my stories and stuff like that. And then the website probably has more descriptive stuff. And as you say, the videos and things, which is um, paperandwood.co.uk. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of the main spaces. I'm not massive on anything else. Occasionally use Facebook, but hardly ever. And 
Um, Twitter never. <laughs> it's not very image-based. <laughs> I don't really use that. <laughs> well, so lost everybody. On there. Oh, I know. It's. It's a, I, I'm kind of like part of me. It's like a. It's almost like a car crash. Like I have yeah. to look at it occasionally, but it really doesn't leave me feeling very good. So I should probably no. stay away. Um, Instagram, however, is is usually pretty pretty wonderful and full full of beautiful things that beautiful people are made. So it is, uh, yeah. go check out Zach's beautiful work. Uh, I Thank you. promise you will enjoy it. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Do make sure to go check out Zach's work if you haven't already because you're inspired by listening to this episode. It is really, really beautiful. Uh, I'd certainly love one of his pieces in my house with my slight bird obsession that I have. I have a lot of ceramic birds. Maybe I should add a paper one to that collection. I'll have to save up for that one, though, for a special occasion. Thanks again to Zach for coming on the show. It was fantastic to speak with him, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back again next week with another episode of the show. If you did enjoy this, please do leave a rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or on the Crown Thrive Facebook page. It really helps other people find the show and know that it's worth listening to. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate you spending some time with me each week. And I hope your creative business journey is going well, even in these challenging times we're living through right now. And I should clarify that we recorded this episode, I think, early March, so just before kind of everything kicked off. Uh, So yeah, it was a different world a few months ago. Okay, thank you again for listening, and I'll be back again soon. Bye for now.